the place for you to learn all things you need about becoming the healthiest and best version of you possible. I'm your host, Michael Sack, and I'd love to welcome you to the It All Starts With You podcast, where ambitious people come to learn all about healthy habits, mindset, nutrition, and everything around becoming the best you. Today on the show, we have Joshua Lawyer. He's a blind surfing champion, a professional adventurer, a martial artist, recently received his jiu-jitsu purple belt, which is no easy stint by, by the imagination, a comedian in exile. I have no idea what that means, but it's not cool anyways. <laughs> tag it for you a and, little bit. <laughs> and uncomfortably honest about religion and mental health and also, also featured on blindabilities.com. Josh, welcome to It All Starts With You, man. Hey, thank you. Yeah, and no, I appreciate you reaching out. And uh, you and I have a, a mutual friend who has a, a perfectly excellent uh, first name. Uh, he had a friend, Josh Bogle, who's a, not a blind surfing champion, but a limb different surfing champion. And the guy fucking rips too. Yeah, that's for sure. Mate, so, so how did you get started with surfing in the first place? Yeah, so I've been interested in, in kind of adventuring stuff my whole life. Yeah. And, you know, I, I lost my eyesight when I was 15, but I, before I lost my eyesight, I had to be really, really careful about losing. And I can unpack that story at, at some point, but it suffice it to say that I always want to do a bunch of adventuring things. And I grew up in Santa Cruz, which was like a, a you know really iconic surf town in Northern California. And I used to love to watch the surfers, at, you know, at sunset, especially there was something really neat about watching the, you know, the kind of pinkish orange sky and kind of the, you know, the movements that the, the surfers would do, but I was at such high risk for losing my eyesight. That was never an option for me. And then fast forward, you know, I dabbled in martial arts a little bit in my mid twenties. I got a lot more serious about it. I'm 41 now for reference, I guess. And then in 2016, I decided enough of this sort of normal life. I was doing accessibility consulting and technology literacy teaching and that kind of stuff. And Decided to do martial arts and adventuring full time. I was concentrating on judo, which is a really, really hard martial art. No, okay. I never got particularly far with it, but I was making an attempt at, at competing in that. Mm. And I knew the only way I was going to have a chance at that is if I devoted myself full time. And on a whim, on an absolute whim, I went to a, a surfing thing, like a very handholdy surfing event uh, here locally in San Diego, which I eventually moved to almost 20 years ago. And uh, then a year later, I thought it was going to happen again. And it was just like a very experienced. Let me, let me check it out. And then I'm, I'm about ready to, to kind of just call it a night and go to bed. And I get a Facebook tag from my jiu-jitsu coach. My jiu-jitsu coach is Joel Tudor, who's a world-famous longboarder. Really, really cool guy. And they say, hey, Josh, check this out. And they had moved that same blind surfing event to the very next day. And thankfully, I was only partway into my first beer of the evening. I was there to, to see a friend of mine, his band play. And I don't, you know, if I drink one or two, I'm fine. I can go surf the next day. If I tie one on it, my, my sense of balance is a little bit off. So I'm glad I got that the right time. And I went and I met my first coach, who, who I'm no longer with. He saw something in me because I'd been spending so much of my time, you know, four or five hours a day, several days a week doing martial arts training, conditioning, 
I was in really good shape and I was able to pop up really fast. And he's like, Hey man, if you ever want to give this whole competitive surfing thing a shot, you know, let me know and I'll, I'll, I'll get you sorted. And, you know, fast forward a few months, I had another fairly uncomfortable loss at a judo tournament. And I was just, I was feeling kind of mopey a little bit if I was being super honest. And he sends me a Facebook message. I think it was a text or call or something. It's like, Hey, the U S open adaptive surfing championships are in like a couple of months. If you register, I'll get you ready. I'm like, uh, that seems a little bit extreme, but all right, let's do this thing. And (laughs) true to his word, man, in less than two months of actual like formal lessons on how to surf, I was coming in third out of four and beating at the time the the current U.S. champ as far as visually impaired surfers were concerned. And then it very quickly was about competition for me, which eventually I kind of found my bearing. And now I love surfing independent of competition, but I had a natural talent for it. And, you know, less than a year, I'm surfing Kelly Slater's wave pool and and still less than a year. Yeah, I know. Absolutely bananas right in less than in less than a year i'm i'm on the u.s national adaptive surf team and in still less than two years from my very first surf lesson i'm competing at the the world championships for adaptive surfing like with the isa event like it's so stinking weird how it was something i did on accident and i think the really cool lesson that i take away from that is we have this preconception of what's possible you know, what is life going to look like? Is, is life going to be, you know, well, that's the you know, blind guys can't surf or blind guys can't learn how to use nunchucks or whatever the particular thing is. Right. And if we believe we can't, of course, we're never going to give it a shot. We're never going to att- make an attempt at doing a thing if we don't think it's possible. And I, I learned through a, a whole series of events throughout my life that you never say no until you've given it a shot with a reason. And it's been the wildest journey. You know, I did mention that I, at first, it became all about competition. I started to not enjoy surfing, which is really sad. But then I, I kind of found my way and, and I went to Malibu surf trip with Malibu is just a few hours drive north of where I live now. But it's an iconic surf spot. And I went there with a bunch of friends with different adaptations, some people who were limb different. And, and I was the only blind guy on the crew. But we had this like this perfect surf spot that everybody tries to get to because it's usually so crowded. There's maybe like 10 of us in the water. And it was super glassy. It wasn't really big. It was maybe three feet tops, but it was really fun. And it kind of helped me come back to realignment for, you know, why do people do this in the first place? And so while I wouldn't recommend competition, jumping into it right away, when you get into surfing, it allowed the people in my life who didn't understand surfing to give me the room because they understood competition. And then I was able to fall in love with it. And you know, I even if I, after I stop competing, which I plan to compete for a while, it's something I'm probably going to do until the day I die. And who knows? Maybe I'll get eaten by a shark or something. It would be a pretty epic way to go. If I had to go. Well, Not that I want to die that way, but it would be a pretty fun story, right? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, uh, definitely not. Uh, when you got into the team, uh, what did that mean to you? It was pretty wild. You know, the, the talent for, you know, because surfing for people with various adaptations or disabilities, there's been a bunch of us over the years that have done things, but in terms of like a governing body to recognize competition on a fairly reasonable playing field, you know, where, you know, I'm not being expected to compete against somebody who has perfect eyesight without the ability to use the lower body at all. It was so that it's been a new thing. And so that there aren't that many blind and visually impaired surfers, but I was competing against at the time, my coach's former athlete 
and the current U.S. champ. And so it was just the two of us in that heat. Found out later after I had taken a blood test that I had low vitamin D levels at the time that I actually served. So my energy level, I was like, I have no sneaking energy here. What's going on? But I had just enough. It was a back and forth thing. And to know that I had earned a spot on a team and I had earned a spot, this victory that was very hard fought. You know, because surfing is not easy. It's really difficult. One of the more difficult sports, I think, really. There was a sort of a sense of, wow, I did that. <laughs> and it was, it felt a little bit like I was in a dream. If I stopped to think back at the time, especially those first few years, if I stopped to think back, and even now, when I stop to think back and just what I've done in the, I guess, almost six years since I quit my job, it doesn't seem real like the things that I've gotten to do. <laughs> so it's sort of one of those things where I have to go, nope, no, I, I did that. And that was, I guess, surreal if I'm going to give it a, a singular one word answer, yeah. but very much, this is what I'm supposed to be doing very much because I'm not particularly wired towards like an office lifestyle and no disrespect to people. I think working in a cubicle or working at like a nine to five job, that's one of the hardest things to do because for me, I personally find it soul crushing. I am not wired that way. I can do it, but I'm absolutely miserable when I'm living that way. And so being able to kind of get some validation that I could objectively point to, even if nobody else understood it, even if nobody was like, Hey, why are you wasting all your time getting sand everywhere? And you know, you just, your beard looks like crap because you just stepped out of the water and you got seaweed sticking out of your nostril. And it, it validates it because it was like, I think I've moved past the validation from other people a little bit, not completely because I have my insecure moments, but there's a, to be able to have that, that hard thing that I did and the, Hey, you know, all that time you put in that had a, a payoff and, and that was pretty neat. Pretty neat is kind of a anticlimactic way to answer that, but yeah, it's, it's real. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Yeah. So since stepping away from your full-time gig six years ago, yeah. What have you been able to achieve? I mean, you're surfing, you're doing jujitsu. So right. or like, or So I had, you know, like the, the comedian in exile thing yeah. kind of relevant. Yeah. Uh, so I tore my hamstring in judo in the end of, so it was August of 2016 was my last day of work, August 19th, actually. And um, I had gone, I had competed maybe two or three judo tournaments and I had kind of overstrained it a little bit in, in judo practice. And then I had gone to a couple of back-to-back -back tournaments in Texas, which is probably about a three or four hour flight away, middle of the, the US. And I woke up one morning a few weeks after I got back and I couldn't walk. And I was like, what's going on? And I, you know, it's thankfully, like, of course you go to urgent care. They go, Oh, you messed up your meniscus. You're probably going to need surgery. No, I, thankfully it wasn't that bad. Yeah. Um, but I had to scale back my judo training for a while. And I wanted to do something dangerous and I got into stand up. And uh, dude, I dude, I legit, like the second, not the first time I did stand up. The first time I did stand up, my dog walked off stage. It was, like, dude, horrible. <laughs> like I, and everybody thought it was like a part of like, it was a bit, you know, everybody thought I was like, oh, you did that on purpose. That's, that's the tacky blind comedian stuff. Like, no, oh, I promise you. Funny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the second time, so that was a Monday and I did it my second set Thursday that same week. Mm. and a full-on i've never been in a like a bar fight before mm. like I, I've, I've had my scraps and, and things when i was younger when i was stupid yeah but there was this guy that was oddly enough pretending to be from australia i mean heckling all of us that went up that night turns out he was a local guy 
but it was cool. Give us a chance to practice our cred work. Yeah. But the last comedian that go, went up, he kind of reaches out and he reaches out. It's like, and this guy over here pretending to be from Australia. And the guy gets up, homeboy gets up and like swipes the microphone out of his hand. All of a sudden, the last comic to go up on stage is like, all right, I guess I'm at a Nirvana concert, stage dives the, on top of the guy. It's fucking WWE in the comedy club. And like there's two of them going out for probably like a minute or so. And then finally the bouncer breaks it up and it's like, okay, we're going to be able to get back to the, to the thing or whatever. And then his buddy decides it's a good idea to take on the security guard. And then all hell breaks loose. I'm on the opposite end of the, the comedy club and a guy throws a chair and, and almost hits my dog runs across. It's just absolute chaos. My wife and I are just sitting there kind of just calmly kind of in shock, sipping our beers, waiting for things to kind of just chill out. Wait, you know, kind of like, is this, we're going to need to do something like what, what's going on. And uh, then the guy who got me on stage at the last minute that night, I was like, everybody the fuck out of here. And he, and we, we finally get to the door and he very sheepishly goes, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's not usually like that. Please come back. <laughs> so, like, that's <laughs> like literally my only the second time I'd ever done stand up at that point. And so I've, so there's that. I've had thankfully much better experiences doing stand up. One of which I was at a comedy contest and they didn't know it was one of the open mic people going for the comedy contest. So, one of the upshots is when they don't know what to do with a blind pe- person, they tend to treat them better or can sometimes. And so, they put me in the green room with the established comedian. So, I'm in there hanging out with like people that I'd seen on Kill Tony and like other like significant stand up spots. I'm like, sweet. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I saw your. It was just, and that's how you connect. And it was a really cool experience. Comedians where you're hanging out with. I'm so curious. Uh, Yeah. It's not anybody super, super famous. Um, I unfortunately don't remember the name of the one comedian, her name, but there's a a woman by the name of Patrice DeVoe. Who if you look. Oh yeah. Dude. She has the greatest joke about like, she's very obviously feminine presenting. She had this joke about being trans and she's like, wait, no, no, I'm sorry. I mean, trans wealthy. I identify as rich or something. She totally butchering her, her joke or whatever, but she was, she could not have been the kindest and being able to have, you know, not again, we're not talking like Tom Segura or Joe Rogan or somebody give me props, but it's somebody that was, more experienced and well-known than me kind of saying, did you get some fire? Keep it going. That was cool. You know, little things like that, you know, like I did just so many different things. Like I've gone driven a jet ski in the last year and stuff. And I like all so many different things I've I've had an opportunity to do. It just doesn't even seem super real. The comedian in exile thing though, I haven't actually been on a physical stage. Uh, This is my own fault since February of 2020. So I had a really, really good set in February 2020. It's like, oh, I got a surf contest in a few weeks. Let me dedicate to that. And then I'll get back to the club. And then obviously through not a lot of fault of my own, at least for the first chunk, all the comedy clubs were closed. And so I I started a podcast that I'll eventually resurrect. But now it's just kind of, all right, I think I'm still funny. Let me finally get out there. So I'm, I'm now at the point where I'm like, all right, it's been long enough. I need to get back out to the club and actually start being in front of an audience again. It's, that's becoming more of a, a possibility, at least here in the US. I know things are pretty locked down in, in Australia as far as live events go, but here in some places, it's an opportunity. There are opportunities for that. Right. That takes, it's really cool though that it's firstly, you had the guts to step, uh, to step away from a secure gig to go into the unknown and do all these really cool things. All these really cool stuff that you've done. I'm curious to know 
what was your mindset like going into what was your mindset at that time six years ago yeah so so when i was thinking about this like i mean i was i felt pretty good about the work i was doing i was working for a us-based nonprofit they have a, a few centers uh, Braille institute yeah. was the actual organization i was working for i was doing some contract stuff i felt good about what i was doing i felt like there was a governor on what I could do. And I've been, spirituality and and different things have been a a significant part of my life for a lot. And one of the things that if you go back and regardless of your particular background you're coming from, there's this thing where throughout the, the Hebrew scriptures, there's this exhortation for God's people to be strong and courageous. Sure. Kind of took my own spin on it. You know, you don't become strong without doing difficult things. Yeah. Right. Like if you want to lift, if you want to get strong, like in muscular and, and, you know, kind of look like Arnold at the time that he did pumping iron, by the way, there's some outtakes of, of Arnold <laughs> in pumping iron that are creepy AF. But, but if you want to have that kind of a physique, and even if you just want to be in decent shape, you have to actually lift the weights. You're not going to get in stronger by learning about the particular molecular structure of the actual piece of, of iron that you're going to be lifting. You know, you're not going to, if you study the aerodynamics of why kettlebells are made the way they are, you're not going to, that's not going to get you stronger. You're have, going to have to actually lift the weights. Yeah, you're right. going to have to actually do your kettlebell swings and do the thing. And courage, you don't become courageous without doing things that scare you, right? Like be this, this whole idea is like, oh man, because, but the, the, there are, I'm a big nerd. I've been a big nerd since, since I was real little. And even before I lost my eyesight, Daredevil was one of my favorite comic book characters of all time uh mm. favorite is batman but daredevil was up there batman is and <laughs> yeah <laughs> let's go let's it's fine people get their preference it's all good yeah. but the, the tagline for daredevil is the man without fear and it's like yeah, that's cool but mm. truthfully because you know blind guy does adventurous stuff you get compared to daredevil a bunch every once in a while just when people are hacky a little bit sure and i'm afraid every single time i get in the water I'm afraid every single time I step on a jujitsu mat, I'm afraid every single time I step on stage to tell a joke or just give a keynote speech or whatever the thing I'm doing. And I realized that if I actually want to be strong and I want to have some courage, then I have to do difficult and scary things. And I knew that going into this, this whole time when I, when I quit my job, I was 36 and I was starting judo at 36 and which is kind of silly in some respects, if you want to compete, but I did it anyway. And I knew if there was any chance I was going to have at making it in judo competition, I was going to have to devote myself. Yeah. And thankfully, I have an extremely supportive wife. I don't have any children, so I didn't have to put anybody else's life, kind of diminish their whatever livelihood they had. My wife was like, you know what? I like you better uh, when you're doing the stuff that's important to you, you know, because of her support and because of that ability to, to go forward. It's like, well, if I have any shot, I have an opportunity to train with Justin Flores, Ronda Rassi's judo coach. You know, I might as well take this this opportunity to really get good. And if I don't, all right. But if I don't give it a shot, there's no way I'm going to do it. Exactly. Mate, that is unbelievable. You're doing these, <laughs> you're doing these incredible things. And yeah, a lot of people just won't. I, I think we have this sort of thing where, and, and I don't know how long this has been, because, you know, like I said, I'm only 41 years old, right? But you're a baby. we have the... <laughs> you said I'm a baby. Yeah. Baby. Yeah. As compared with some people, man, I look at look at some of the people that are still out there doing stuff, and I'm like, you know, Laird Hamilton, one of the people I admire a lot. 
guy is like 60 something, but he probably looks like he's in his 20s, man. Like as far as the energy that guy has, has has an animal. But I think we have this sort of, we're afraid of failing. We're afraid of of not having a, a perfect life. We're afraid of it's, and so we don't do anything unless we're sure what the outcome will be. You just don't try. Well, and you know, it's sort of, and I love, you know, like I said, I'm a big nerd. I love video games and I love all that stuff, but you know, there's, there are consequences. And and I think yes. sometimes when we have consequences, we skin our knees, like we kind of forget like, oh yeah. You know, and we, and then, yeah, would I have made a different choice in terms of quitting my job? If I had kids, I'd probably go about it a little bit of a different way. Because, you know, like, again, adults can sign up for this stuff. Kids can't. But I think that we have this, it's easier to play a smaller, more confined game. It's harder to do really well when we're kind of figuring out the rules as we go. It's hardwired into our DNA to be safe. Because when we were cavemen, we had to stay in the cave. Because if we stepped out, we'd be eaten by by like a saber-toothed tiger or whatever the thing was, right? Exactly. So it's hardwired into into our DNA and the idea of stepping out of our nine to five or whatever scares the shit out of people. But what's even scarier is having an idea and not trying it and then regretting it to when you're 18, 90 years old and you're like, Fuck, and that's the thought that I had, it. right? I, I was looking at that and I was thinking, well, gosh. You know, the life that I had always wanted to have was to be like this, you know, kind of benevolent badass ideal, right? Of of doing really like impressive shit. I knew that I, you know, had this opportunity to train under like a in the martial arts world, you know, like most people have heard of Ronda Rousey. I got to train with her judo coach. I didn't stay doing it for more than a few years, but I, I did for a while. I knew that if I didn't make that attempt now, meaning, you know, when I was in my mid 30s, that I would regret it. Like I, I would, there were so many things that I have not done that I've regretted. I'm like, well, enough of this, you know, I want more life as, as more possible. I say I'm uncomfortably honest about religion. I was a, a Christian for a lot of years and, and I, I wouldn't really put myself in that category now. That's been a relatively recent thing in the last couple of years. But one of the things that, that Jesus said, or one of the things that has been attributed to Jesus is that it came to bring life more abundantly. And now I don't know all about the specifics. I'm still on my own sort of figuring out where I land on, on the specific spirituality stuff, but I like the idea of having an abundant life. I don't think an abundant life means that I am financially wealthy necessarily, or that I have unlimited, you know, limitless resources. What I do think the thing that I liked about that, and the thing I still like about that is the idea of having as much life as I possibly can. I think that so often, and this is not a diminishment on other people, but I think there's so much more possible living that we can do and very little living that we actually realize. And not because it's not possible, but because our minds keep us to going back to that whole thing of being safe. There's a lot of people are just afraid they won't be alive anymore, so much so that they allow their fear of not of not being safe to keep them from actually living. I've had a few guests, and this is a subject that has been brought up. And it's like, I there's things in my life that scare the shit out of me that brings me to mm-hmm. tears because I'm that scared. But right. it's the question that I ask myself and I ask other people 
is what's the worst that could happen? You try something and if it's like you try it and you don't like it, then move on to something else. Mm-hmm. But it's like, it's as simple as that. It's like, you, you try something different. I mean, you're still surfing. You're still doing yeah. martial arts. You're doing all this cool shit. It's because you tried it. If you don't, like, I mean, it's, it's sort of this, the guy that actually gave me my Joshua the Jedi nickname, which is, by the way, I didn't choose that for myself. Somebody gave that to me. And somebody gives that to you, you run with that. So, Absolutely. But my, my friend, uh, Harinder Singh, really cool guy, uh, Sifu Singh on Instagram and, and all over the place, S-I-N-G-H, really cool guy. He kind of talks about the idea of the value of experience. And you can't really kind of tell somebody how what water is like if they've never been wet, if you've never been wet. Mm. Like you have to actually experience it directly. You know, you can read about something all you want, but if you don't experience it, there's a limit to how much of it you can actually ascertain. He's actually, you know, I've been around uh, people in kind of like a Taoist perspective that kind of trips it with a. And I'm not a Taoist in terms of steeped in really understanding, but there's a thing I really dig about that yeah. is that once you start describing the Tao, it's it's not the Tao anymore. Like you can't ex- you can't articulate it. It's something that you have to personally experience. And I think there's something really beautiful about experiencing as much of what life can be. You know, there's all these different little directions and things. Like, oh, you know, I like jalapenos. Maybe I like a habanero. Uh, I don't know, or, you know, I like pizza. Maybe I'll like some whatever, you know, like it, it can just keep it to something simple in terms of food. But I think there's something value in, in doing lots of different stuff. There's, um, uh, what are some of the things that scare you? I mean, can I put you on the spot? Like, absolutely. is there anything particular fears that you've had that you maybe you've kind of reconciled with and wrestled with and, and kind of realized maybe a different way to, to look at them? There's a... On my wall, there's four pages, 91 different goals that I try to do within the year. Now, obviously, if I do all of 91, that's fucking amazing. Anyway. That's, that's, a, that's a high number of goals, it's man. I try to stick I'm lucky if I can get one or two, you know, <laughs> being real. I've already ticked off three. Okay. So but the one thing that scares me is fear of change the fear of the unknown yeah yeah and that scares me more than anything because it's like with personal development it's great you're overcoming these boundaries you are aware of these boundaries so that you've put into your head Mm -hmm. and then you've overcome that you are at a really good level with that but then there's more and that next step right to there is taking that step into the unknown and you have no idea where, where you're going to land. It's like you are about to, you're comfortable surfing four foot waves, five foot waves. And then it's like you get comfortable and you're good at it. And then the next step is surfing a six foot face, a six foot wave. <laughs> And I'm literally getting a chills down my fucking spine. Oh my God, this is terrifying. But you know, once you've done it, it's like, hey, that was... The first time I had a really big drop, it was that my heart was going to just fly out of my throat. 
you know, but I made it to the bottom. I'm like, holy shit, I did that. I'm like <laughs> for sure. Uh, have you done like some big wave surfing or something or, or, or I guess not big wave, but like your, your kind of that progression of your surfing thing has, has been the, the thing that you find yourself challenging yourself a little bit more. So and when things are locked down, obviously jujitsu, uh, the gym right. closed. So I started spending a more time in the water and so I was swimming a lot and that was just my saving a mental brace. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can relate to that for sure. The fact that I've been able to get it when things were shut down here, that made all the difference being able to get to the water. I can relate to that. So I started surfing a little more. So I was getting comfortable with two to three feet and I was like, uh, okay, I'm comfortable with two to three. <laughs> That's not a problem. But then yeah. one day there was a, there was a nice swell that came in and it was between three to five feet. And I was like, that's fuck a it. jump up if you're not used to it for sure yeah fuck it if i can <laughs> literally if our eye can go from three to four foot wonderful if i can catch a green wave an unbroken wave at five feet awesome and then i started doing that a little more and whenever there's a swell between three to five feet and i go i still get butterflies but it's not as bad the, the biggest trick for me, like the bigger the waves get, like, I don't really, it doesn't frighten me that much in terms of riding a wave, the bigger they get. It's, it's really just how much of a battle is it going to be to get to the outside? Cause obviously the bigger the wave, the harder it is to get over it exactly, or to get through it. If you're trying to get to that, to, to where the good wave position is now, down in, uh, in Australia though, you guys have some, some interesting wildlife, even close to the, to the shore Has has that been, uh, I mean, you have like some pretty poisonous, like, uh, like what's the jellyfish and stuff like that, right? Truthfully, it's there, but it's nowhere near to where I live. So if you're talking about like, if you're talking about the... I don't know. I, like, I know almost cra- so little about Australian uh, geography. Like I know that Adelaide's down towards the south yeah, and you know, Perth is not that far from Melbourne, but that's about as much as I can tell you. So Melbourne, so I live in Sydney. Melbourne is is uh, underneath, I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Melbourne is underneath. Perth is on the other coast, so Western Australia. Yeah. So it's on the other. So it's on the other side. That's a five-hour flight. See, see, yeah, yeah, see, I have, that just shows. Just opened my mouth and articulated. Yeah. So yeah, clearly I don't know anything about Australia. <laughs> very little about Australia anyway. All you need to know is that, that it's very far, far away. I've flown from Australia to San Francisco and it was a mission. It was such a long flight. <laughs> For sure. Nonetheless, so we got really distracted here. But none, anyways, who cares? <laughs> hey, you know, I don't, I don't mind getting a little bit of... But but yeah, that, so you haven't encountered any of these poisonous jellyfish that were nah. that uh, we hear about over here. It doesn't happen where I am. Those poisonous jellyfish and all the scary animals that everyone thinks that that lives in our fucking backyard doesn't re- it doesn't <laughs> happen in suburbia. It doesn't. But you'll get all the crocodiles up north. You'll get all, all the dangerous sharks, all of all of that, but it's much it's much further up. It's much yeah, more. No, that's fair. I do like though that people yeah. that, that kind of makes me think of a of a thing. Sometimes people hear about a thing and they think it's so much more than 
the actual thing is in reality. Yeah. Like, so on January 15th, uh, that's when the, the volcano erupted, right? And we had the, the tsunami warnings and everything and, and obviously yeah. severely affected Tonga. And we had some, some flooding and stuff in the northern west coast here. In Southern California, it wasn't that bad. And about 10 a.m. on that Saturday, I get a text from my mother who lives in, uh, in Idaho, which is considerably further inland. Uh, from California. She just, you know, very panicked kind of text. I could almost hear her for kind of frantic when she sent it. You aren't going anywhere near the ocean today, are you? I'm like, actually, I have a surf contest in about two hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it and honestly, like, I mean, this was a pretty low-key local contest, right? Like this, they had divisions of you know 13, 14 year olds competing in this contest, in addition to the adaptive surfers that were there that day. And and you know, if it was really that bad, they're just going to tell us to get out of the water. It wasn't that, but it was kind of a cool thing to say that I surfed in a tsunami and I survived. Technically speaking, that's true. Yeah. I will say that the currents were kind of gnarly that day though. That was, uh, I, I got pretty close to the rocks and I had to book it to get out of there. Cause that, that actually was a concern, but the waves themselves were actually pretty fun and glassy. If I'm being real honest. You're laughing. Laughing. That's amazing. Yeah, it's like some of the stuff, you know, you say it and it's like, oh, it sounds way cooler. You know, I mean, technically it's true, but it's just closer up. It's sometimes things aren't actually as scary as, as they are. Sometimes we kind of build up the, the enormity of the fear to be bigger than the actual thing itself. And I think that's, that really comes back to kind of that whole mindset thing of like, if you make something bigger because you feed the fear and you make that fear so big that it eats you, then you never try. So how have you been able to, like, what's been your process in, like, getting it to where you're at today? What's been the process that you've done in your, like, in your psyche to mm -hmm. really pull this, to really pull that fear away? So there's a couple of things where the, the simplest thing is you do what you can, right? So... If all and because what's scary for me and what's difficult for me is not going to be the same thing as what's difficult and scary for you. Other people, jujitsu, no, not really scary, that even really interesting to them. But for them, the of speaking in front of people scares the shit out of them. For me, I thrive on that. So you start with where what you can do and you kind of stretch yourself just a little bit. So, you know, like, because I have, you know, I've talked about mental health stuff. Sometimes I'll, I'll have really rough days where it takes a lot of extra effort just to kind of get out and take care of my basic stuff. But the more I can focus on what I get to experience right now and recognize that I'm not before, I'm not tomorrow, I'm not even an hour from now, I'm right now. This is, this is where I am. I'm here and I'm right now. The more I can zero on that present moment, then I can just, then I can appreciate it. You know, like I have, I don't know if you can see with the, the video, I have a Yoda tattooed on my forearm here. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, some of that is obviously, you know, I have a appreciation for Star Wars and stuff, but it's also that, that idea of, of the do or do not, there is no try. There is, you know, you do the thing and you kind of see what happens. And this intentional nowness is, that is how I get past it. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't still have fear. But I, I let the fear kind of remind me, hey, pay attention, but but do the thing. Um, and there are some some Tai Chi things and some other things from my martial arts practice that help. There's a sort of this progression um, that I like to work with that I learned from my, my friend Sifa Singh that I mentioned earlier, where there's the idea of stillness and stillness, right? Where your body is still, 
and you're calming your mind. So maybe you might do that with some mindfulness meditation. Maybe you're just focusing on your breath, you know, breathe in the good, breathe out the bad, breathe in the happy, breathe out the sad. You kind of go through this whole thing of just focusing on your breath, just very simple thing. And that's stillness and stillness. And then you get this, this sort of stillness in movement. Sometimes that's easier for some people to do where you know what's going to happen, relatively speaking. You know, you, you know that, okay, I'm going to do this push up or I'm going to do this, you know, combination of movements and it's going to have this result or, or what have you. And you try to find some sort of a, a stillness or calmness of your mind in that spot. Yeah. And then further, there's the idea of stillness and chaos. And that's the tr- difficult part, yeah. but sometimes we get to glimpse it. And the more we glimpse it and the more we get to experience the stillness and chaos, then it's not a matter of fighting through, of trying to do a thing. It's I do the thing and I allow it to happen. And and so the idea of, you know, if you can do something, it's a little bit difficult and you can find some calm in that. And then maybe the next time you do something a little bit more difficult, or maybe you do something at just the same level of difficulty, but you try to rest more deeply in the present moment uh, into the calmness that you can find, into the stillness and peace that you can find, even in the midst of chaos. Then just like uh, lifting weights, your muscles get stronger, or just like learning a guard pass, you know, you, you kind of more consistently make the guard pass work. You know, you get, there's this kind of body lock guard pass I've been working on if somebody's got you in triangle. I'm not tranquil in a butterfly guard. And the more I do it, the more naturally it comes. And so intentionally doing the difficult things to the extent that I can get myself to do them, intentionally doing the scary things to the extent that I can get myself to do them while still doing the, the stillness, mindfulness meditation, while still doing the the moving meditation stuff, sometimes music and, and just kind of losing myself in art can help me get that too. Then it becomes a... Instead of a, a state that I'm trying to get to, right? It's more along the lines of a dream I'm trying to remember. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? So, like, if I do something, right? Like, instead of putting in all this effort, like, if you try, like, if you flex your arm and you try to move it across the same way you do, like, isometrics or dynamic resistance, it's harder to do the thing because you're you're putting effort into the thing as opposed to just move your arm. Right. There's this this sort of it's a it's this idea of effortless intentionality. So the more we can do a thing without where we're focused on the objective rather than the effort we put into the thing. Because there's this, especially in, in Western cultures, this idea that the way you can tell how hard you're working or, or how well you're doing a thing is how much effort. What do we say? An A for effort. Mm. Well, I don't care how much effort you're putting in. I care about whether you're making the thing work. Okay. And, and so, and so this, this, this idea that, yeah, I'm at first, it's going to take some effort to do a thing because it's a difficult thing. It's something I've never done before. There's an extra level of complexity or, oh shit, I'm going with a black belt and I've never rolled with purple belts before, but the more I'm able to find that and the more I can kind of latch on to that stillness in the midst of that chaos, then it's not a thing, you know, maybe the individual thing that I'm doing is different and that's difficult. But if I can kind of remember what it feels like inside to experience that stillness, then it's sort of this thing I'm remembering rather than this thing I'm desperately trying to do. It's a thing that I just do and I become better at doing the thing because I'm focusing on that that sense of nowness 
I mean, we're definitely getting in some woo-woo territory, but at the same time, the more we can get into the remembrance that we are in the present moment. You know, I, I talked about before how Christian for a lot of years, and I wouldn't necessarily know put myself in that that category now. One of the things that has been a, a comfort in this sort of you know faith deconstruction, if you will, is the idea that I, I don't know about before. I don't know what happens after I die. I don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know what's happening now. And so this sort of comfort in knowing something, I know that now is now, and I can experience this present moment. And so the more I can recapture that, the easier it is to deal with chaos and, and difficulties that come up. My friend Ty Duckett, who's absolutely sick, really good uh, limb different surgery, he's a above the knee amputee guy, uh, serves on the US team with me, actually. Uh, we have this thing we like to say to each other when we go surfing together is live in the now or drown, right? So um, if you if you wipe out, right, live in the now or drown is, is the thing. Kind of We kind of think of surfing and particularly wipeouts as being forced meditation, you know, because yeah. if you freak out and you panic, it's going to take you that much hard, longer and that much more effort to get your head above water. If you just sort of surrender to it and just, you know, treat a little wipeout like a water hug, then you can kind of relax into it. And then you, when you start enjoying your wipeouts, and that's the crazy thing, I don't know how long you've been surfing, but when I started enjoying, not just not being afraid of, but genuinely enjoying the kind of the neat, the neatness of the experience of wiping out in a wave and just having to surrender to that moment, the more calm I was able to be when I was actually surfing a wave. And I found that I could surf better because I wasn't, I wasn't worried about like, oh, if I fall, big deal. I'll just kind of hang out for a while and practice, hold my breath and maybe just chill out, find my board, get back up and go. Okay. If I panic, the more I panicked about the wipeout, the more stiff I'd be, the more I would forget to get low. Cause a lot of times new guys, when they're surfing, they'll pop up. Maybe they can get a really fast pop-up, but they pop up so fast that they kind of squirrel themselves off the side of the board or they stay, they forget to get low. And so when that whitewater comes down after the wave breaks, they just fall off. They make the drop. They don't, they can't keep it. But what, if you can relax into, you know, the, the consequences, if I fall, not that big a deal. I can handle that. It allows you to just relax into the, then you find that glimpse of that stillness and chaos. And then the more difficult things you do, it's I'm remembering what it's like to be calm in the midst of chaos. And then it, then your ability, it's not that things get easier, but you can do more as you progress if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. And you can see that in a professional, like professional surfers, professional big wave surfers, professional sure. fighters, jiu-jitsu guys. They talk about being calm, you know, especially big wave surfers like uh, Kai Lenny and uh, Lucas Chumbo and all those guys. Yeah. That by, by the way, fun little thing, the day that I surfed Kelly Slater's wave pool, uh, Kai Lenny was there with Dusty Payne. Dusty Payne had just oh come off a big injury, God. and dude, I, 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 I've, what and it was so funny because I'd been serving for less than a year, uh-huh. right? And here I am, like, oh yeah, by the way, yeah, like just chilling out with 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 Kai Lenny and, and Dusty Payne because we had different turns to get on the wave. But I, I have to say, Kai in particular could not have been a nicer guy, one of the kindest people you will ever meet. Like at least certainly for me, like he he could not have been you know, he could have just dismissed me like, who's this guy? Yeah. Whatever. Why is he here? And he could not have been more like, just, you know, have the rat Aloha spirit about him. It was, it was the coolest, most mellow guy. 
if I was uh, able to get him onto the podcast, I, I don't know if I'd be able to ask him any questions. So I'm like, <laughs> that's kind of yeah. right on the other yeah. side. Of the, yeah, yeah. The well, maybe that's why I was cool because the thing is, is like even though I had seen, been around surf culture my, my whole life and, you know, and I had a bunch of people with Joel and stuff that had been encouraging me to get into surfing. That's been the weird thing is I, I've really only been on the surfing journey a few years. And so I didn't know how much of a quote, big deal quote he was when I met him. And so it kind of made it easier just to, I think I'd probably still be good if I met him now, now that I have more of an awareness of who he is, but, but even still, he, he could not have been up more kind and, and more just genuine in his interaction with me. So just for what it's worth, if anybody's curious what he's like in person, he's, he's a super mellow guy. I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of people that do. It's like they talk about being calm in sticky situations. Imagine yeah. you are surfing a hundred foot wave, and these things <sighs> do exist. Biggest and wave I've ever surfed is ten feet. That was plenty scary for me, or at least ten feet now. is still pretty big. Oh, it was. It, was, it scared the shit out of me. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's pretty big, but you get taken down, not taken down, but you wipe out and then you have to stay calm as a 70-foot swirl comes on top of you and another one and another one and another one and you're like, <laughs> yeah, under the water essentially for, for sure. two minutes and it's like practice being calm. And it's like, what in the fuck are you talking about, buddy? He's like, yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, the one thing that, and it's not just the mindset, like I, I don't want to make, it's like, I don't want to give anybody ammunition to be foolish, yeah. right? Like, yes, I'm calm, but I also, you know, like I can't always get out into the water as much as I want because I need to have somebody with me if I'm going into any waves of consequence. But sure. I, I still, I, I still do yoga. I still do my jujitsu. I do other things to make sure I'm in physical, you know, that I'm physically fit. And right. I, and I've really, you know, there's that physical preparation as well so it's not just you can't it's not like some magical thing where you think it and it, and it happens but if you have the the mental preparation with the physical preparation and you're very in, intentional about that then you can actually accomplish a lot more than you think it's putting the it's doing the do but also having the preparation as you will to mm -hmm. just to make like it's an extra security it's like, uh, okay, if you're going to be surfing bigger waves, nine, 10 feet, yeah. you know that you have that physically that you're good and mentally you're out in the water and you're doing the do, it makes it a little less scary, if that makes any sense. Yeah, a little bit. You know, I mean, like the level of, especially the more you do a thing, the less of a big deal it is. Yeah. You know, I mean, and not in the sense that you can't still fly. Like I still have, I mean, being mere feet away from dolphins never gets old. That's pretty dang cool. Yeah. But in terms of the any fear that might come from being pushed back into shore because the waves are coming at me, yeah. that's way different now than it was just, shoot, like even a year ago. Just because I've done a lot more surfing, especially the last two years with everything closed. You know? That's cool. It's really interesting what surfing I can really bring into people's lives surfing and jiu-jitsu more specifically oh there's like, such a if wild culture I don't like, like, like such an overlap between the two <laughs> so, 
I've um, actually, since you surf and you do jujitsu, tell me if you've had this experience. If you go to open mat, does it feel a little bit like you're in the lineup waiting for your turn to go for a wave? Mm-hmm. Like, cause I get that same sort of emotional, like kind of, Oh yeah, this is a little bit like that. A little bit, but not as terrifying. <laughs> unless the unless, big, unless you got some savages that decided to come to your gym that day yeah it was a <laughs> there's a guy um he's a brazilian i mean he's a white belt but he rolls to like a high grade blue belt he's like he's built to like a brick house he's easily 100 110 kilos i'm not sure what that is in pounds but it's heavy Oh, it's, and, it's, it's uh, over 200 pounds for sure. I yeah, don't know how much. he's a big boy. And you pray. I mean, you're a higher belt. You don't have to pick him. But right. it's like, you know that you should because, but yeah. when you do, it's going to be a long six minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be, it's fucking terrifying. Well, this uh, is the wild. Th- oh, sorry. Keep going. <laughs> it just works. It's like, I've, spoken to a few guys who's been who've been doing a jiu-jitsu longer than i've been alive and they do jiu-jitsu and they surf as well because did all the all the really high level surfers like i used to or jiu-jitsu people you know that most of them surf you know like uh i don't know if you know who leticia ribero is she's like seven or eight time world champ uh, and she used to teach a class at the the gym right where I trained before Joel split off to do surf fight instead of when we were all at surf uh, studio 540 together. Sure. She would teach a class up there, but she'd go surfing all the time. You know, Ribeiro, um, as in the same relative as Janchi Ribeiro, or different. I'm not actually sure. Uh, okay. I get kind of fuzzy. There's so many Brazilians and stuff. But if you look yeah, up Leticia right. Ribeiro, she's she's absolutely one of the most phenomenal women jiu-jitsu players that ever existed. Okay. Um, and of course, you know, like Hickson surfs, and yeah. you know, like uh, uh, Jocko Willink, who you know, obviously he's known as the Navy SEAL guy, but you know, owns a jiu-jitsu gym here in San Diego. Sure. Surfs regular. Jocko Willink? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a surfer. Yeah, he is a surfer, 100%. It's, and it all makes sense now when you realize he's a surfer, right? Yeah. <laughs> because he's always, he's so calm. So he's so calm. Yeah. And obviously, he's been through some serious stuff. I mean, he was yeah. in Ramadi in, in Iraq and stuff, you know, but yeah. like, but he stays so calm and is able to kind of bring people back to that. Uh, Tiffany Van Seust, uh, you know, t- if you look up uh, Tiffany Timebomb Van Seust, she used to teach a, a Muay Thai class at Studio 540, and you know she surfs all the time too. Like when she's not fighting or kicking people in the head, she's surfing. <laughs> By the way, I made the mistake once. Uh, don't ever do this. Uh, if you ever go to a Muay Thai class, don't let anybody know it's your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> the last so, I don't know if you know. I don't know if you know the tradition. At least in a lot of classes. You know, basically, if it's your birthday, everybody comes through and gives you a leg kick at the end of class. Oh, fuck that! <laughs> and there were probably about ten of them, ten of us there. And and honestly, most of us were. It was a pretty big range from from Tiffany to a couple of amateur fighters to like soccer moms that were coming in. You know, it was a, it was, it was a wide range of abilities, and backgrounds, and stuff. And everybody came through. It, was, it not, didn't tickle. And then Tiffany comes in and I tweaked my right leg. So she, she was going to kick my left one. And, and she's like, no, I'll, I'll be light. She, she fucking lied. It hurt for like three days. <laughs> yeah. So the last time I did that was when I was a blue belt and I 
and the junior was my birthday. So they said, okay, Michael, you're in the middle. And there was oh, yeah, you had, you had a shark tank. You had to fight everybody. Huh? It was like a shark tank. I'm like, oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> really? Okay. I got my ass absolutely handed yeah. to me. And by the end of it, everyone is like, yeah, happy birthday. I'm like, I'm dying of a fucking mad. <laughs> See, but I, and, and I'm, I, I don't know, something flipped a switch for me because like, I, I would still probably be exhausted and stuff, but. I kind of like those moments. I mean, maybe that's because when I was a kid, I was, I was such an involuntary indoor kid, you know, because I was, had to be so careful. I mean, I was exempt from phys ed class in middle school, you know, because they were, the school district was afraid I'd get hit with a ball and I'd lose my eyesight and I'd sue them, you know? So like, no, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Like, this is not like me making, you know, whatever, like that's, so it was sort of like a bowstring once I could actually do stuff and I didn't have to worry about losing, then that's when I did all the stuff, you know, like the water skiing and the rock climbing and, and eventually getting into martial arts for real and stuff. You know, it's like, it's so maybe, maybe I'm not the best person to ask if somebody's kind of a normal person. Cause I don't think I'm particularly wired in a normal way. No, but that's a good thing. No, I'm, I'm absolutely not apologizing for it at all. I'm yeah. very happy that I'm wired the way I am. That's, that's beautiful. Really. It's like, take a, a like for people that's going to be listening to this and, and, Watching it eventually, we'll, we'll be putting it up on a streaming site. Be unapologetically yourself. And 100%. Like, exactly. Because it's like, it's just God has given you, this universe has given you everything, like being your unique self. And it's like, you can work on it yourself. You can improve for what you have right at this very moment but to change it for anything about yourself is just uh, there's no point really there really isn't there might be some value in that and they might even be right but i have to be true to myself otherwise there's going to be that internal friction and i'm going to feel depressed or angry or whatever particular thing that i might feel and that doesn't have to be how my life is and so 100 that true to yourself that uh, live as authentically as possible, you're going to have a much happier life, I think. Josh, mate, this has been an absolute fire. Right on, man. Cool. I, I appreciate your time more than anything, really. Yeah. If you're uh, if your listeners and or viewers go to my website, depending on when this is released, there might actually be something up there right now. JoshWithTheJedi.com is basically, wait, did he remember to put any content up here? Um, <laughs> but honestly, if, if, if people are interested in, in interacting with me, send, hit me up on Instagram. Instagram is a very visual social network, naturally. So I might not comment or like every single post or whatever, but if you send me a message, I'm, I'm pretty good at, at responding to things eventually. I was, I was just about to ask where, where people can find you, but you've already answered that. So <laughs> final, <laughs> final question. If you were to go back to your 18-year-old self and give him 10 seconds of advice, what would it be? Stop living for other people. Do the things that make you happy and forget the preconceptions that you have. Just live authentically and enjoy the, pro the present moment right now. Josh, is there going to be a book in the, in the pipeline anytime soon? You know, I've been writing a lot more and, you know, I started writing a book a while back and then I, I kind of have this very uncomfortable 
but still helpful crumbling of a lot of my preconceptions around spirituality and, and philosophy and stuff and kind of rebuilding that. Now that I'm finding a little bit of ground and surer footing, um, I think uh, I can start kind of putting together some of the things that I put. So I would like to say that I'd have something by the end of the year, but you know, uh, that I'm not going to say that I will, but I, I think I'll be able to make some meaningful progress before the year's out. Yeah. As far as the book is concerned. Josh, mate, again, thank you so much for your time. For sure. Only good things ahead for you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, if I could leave just one really important thing that I've, I've okay. been signing off more recently with is for any of your listeners, you're worthy of being loved, especially by yourself. Amen. I love that. That's really, really powerful. Okay. Thanks. Bye, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. Would mean the world to me if you left a five-star written review and subscribers so we can all make a bigger impact together.